What's going on, AfterBuzz TV fans? We are here with a super special episode. It is a Cobra Kai deep dive with the most special of special guests. We've got Marty Cove in studio. We'll see you guys in just one second. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Holy smokes. Holy I am smokes. starstruck right now. I don't even know what to do with myself. This is so exciting. Woo! The team is back together, and we have a special guest. It's the Cobra Kai AfterBuzz TV team with Mr. Marty Cove. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Welcome to the studio, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just learning all about this this world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were talking about the, you know, the difference when you were promoting like the original Karate Kid and now promoting Cobra Kai, and just the difference of the press. Well, th- back then, I mean, I was doing Cagney and Lacey. I didn't even have time to run off when they came out with the movie. I, I was on some other project in Eugene, Oregon. And I all I remember is, you know, Ralph did press and and, um, and uh, Pat Morita did some press and John Avelson did some. But it was really interesting because when the movie premiered, I, um, at the time my wife saw it with my son and I said, well, how was it? She said, oh, it's great. It was terrific. <laughs> it's a great movie, you know. And I said, how was I? And she said, you're okay. <laughs> Toughest critic for yeah. sure. You know, that's all I knew about the movie because I was doing a series and then went off to do this movie of the week and and then after a while it just, you know, it seemed to be so important. I think years later it became so important to so many people as time progressed and you heard these stories from people, you know, it was just a well-done movie with a terrific script. How long after the original one came out did you actually see it? Um, it was a while. I think it was about three months. Really? Yeah. I was up in Eugene, Oregon doing this picture with Brian Keith at the time. And it was 84. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't see it. I mean, it wasn't around. And I was working was shooting nights. It was an action mm-hmm. thing. And I would say two to three months after the premiere in the, on – um, Hollywood Boulevard. I went to see it, you know, wow. and I really liked it. <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't know it would move so many people. So you, you didn't know. attend the premiere? Oh no, I didn't. Attend you didn't it. come back for it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't come back for it. I don't know why. You know, it's it's interesting to think back what was going on. I just couldn't get out of this one movie. Sure. And like now, I was able to. You know, I was doing a film called VFW in Dallas, and I was able to. <laughs> things have changed. I was able. To not only go to the premiere while shooting the movie, then go back to finish the film, and then go to a convention in Washington, then go back to finish the film, and then go to a, a convention in Dallas. And last week we flew in the morning, Billy and Ralph and I, in the morning on Saturday, flew to L.A. to do an Emmy event, and then flew back in the evening to finish the Comic-Con. <laughs> That's a whirlwind. That is quick. This is a whirlwind, yeah, you know. This is the world of being a superstar. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. In the digital age. In the digital age. So uh, you are one of the toughest tough guys of all time. You've been working, playing action roles for, what, 40 years now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the icing on the cake is that season three has now been greenlit of Cobra Kai. This is the most, it's the most watched premium digital series ever. Um, and we have a third season coming up pretty soon. So congratulations. Are you yes. excited about it? Thank you. Yeah, you know, it was brought to me, and it was written, you know, Parrot Analytics declares this the most watched, you know, digital show on the planet. And your only competition on network <laughs> is Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really just, you know, since I love Game of Thrones, that and so does everybody else that that was great to have that as your competitor yeah you know and uh, i mean it's a pleasure to to be part of something so well written thanks to you know hayden schlossberg and john horowitz and and josh Heald. i've told the story many times where they persuaded all of us you know ralph and billy first and then me to come in on episode 10 on uh, for myself on season one to set up season two and they knew more about our characters than we did. I mean, they just knew everything. And even when I came up with suggestions, they already had it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I wanted to do backstories about Vietnam and talk about how Cobra Kai got its name and why I was so uptight about it. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, mercy for the weak and all. They had it. They just had it. You know, mm-hmm. they knew it. And uh, I have legal papers full of notes that I worked with on. I met with some army rangers and, you know, because that's what he was in Vietnam. And they had it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, had, they had thought about all this already, you know. So it's, it, it's such good writing. You know, I haven't worked with such good writing since the days of Cagney and Lacey, since the days of doing the initial movies, all three of them. So yeah. when they met with you and were, you know, talking, and obviously, I mean, to persuade everyone, I mean, first, what was it, I mean, that persuaded you guys all to come back? And has that been a pitch to you guys in the last, you know, 30 years? Never as a series. Everybody has an idea about how to do a sequel, another sequel to a hit movie. I mean, whenever you, whenever you, you know, I'm a big Western fan, so whenever someone <laughs> pitches me an idea about a buddy movie, it's just like Butch and Sundance. Mm-hmm. Right. It's exactly yeah. that. It's yeah. like Lethal Weapon. It's, it's really, Lethal Weapon meets Butch and Sundance, you know, and that doesn't qualify anything. Sure. You know, the, the written word is what it is. And um, they were very persuasive, but they were really intelligent, you know, and whatever they have expressed... Over this, I guess it's September. So this September, it'll be two years that we had that initial meeting. And um, whatever they've perceived has happened. What they said was going to happen when the show aired, episode 10, season 1, did. What happened in episode 1, season 2, based on season 1, did. All the, you know, the, the, the carryings on about John Kreese and all. And I had no idea that he was, he just meant so much to so many people. Mm-hmm. Whether you love to hate him or hate to love him. He's a very interesting character. <laughs> you know, now he's interesting because they're writing him with versatility. They're writing him with all kinds of texture and color and even more in season three. And that's what's so fun to play. It's not fun to play just a stoic, tough guy from... Karate Kid 1. Where can you really go with that, you know? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. speaking of which, you know, the arc of your characters, now as you're saying, really getting to be fleshed out. We're getting to really see this. Whereas in 1984, that grim look was <laughs> was the character, right? It was like a car- almost like a cartoon villain. And he was. Be- in culture, it's become... That character's face has almost become like what it is to be that guy. And so for you, is it fun to, to get to, for 30 years, be thinking about the backstory of this character and now actually see it to realize it to guess i mean it's really an actor's dream to be able to do all of that but everybody knows your basics you know so many times you have to really um create uh let's just say a shell for the audience to see you have to create character one two and three within yourself so they see what your personality is all about here the world knows where he's coming from you know he's coming from a dark place and now we're finding out why, mm. you know, which is really interesting. It's like my favorite bad guys were probably Klaus Maria Brandauer, a German actor in in one of the Bond movies, and Stefan Waltz in Django. You know, these were like oozing with charm beasts. You know, they were the best. And, um, you know, Anthony Hopkins, you know. Sure. And so that's interesting to play. And it'd be great to know and learn a lot more about this, you know, stoic, what people quote as a monster from 1984. Sure. You know. Do you like the sympathy? The sympathy? That your character, I mean, people are like, oh, man, I actually, I feel for him now knowing what he went through. And I actually don't want to. I yeah. feel for the character, and I don't yeah. want to feel for the character. It's much more complex. Well, it's interesting because when we went to Austin, and we, we did a world premiere at the Austin Film Festival, uh, South by Southwest there. And every time I came on, every time I came on, we'd show to several episodes, there was, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it was ama- every time. And, I, and as an actor, 
I wasn't even thinking dark thoughts. I remember, because it wasn't so long ago, what I was dealing with as an actor at that moment. And then, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't manipulative. It wasn't a con. It wasn't vengeance. It wasn't, you know, self-centered. It was something else totally. And yet, the reaction from the audience, oh, <laughs> like I'm really ready to pull down, you know, bomb the World Trade Center again, or, yeah, you know, sure. do something terrible, you know? You previously mentioned, I know you had a quote that you said, like, kids used to come up to you after the original and a couple of the, you know, sequels and say, oh, you hurt Ralph. And you enjoy kind of being that, like, Darth Vader villain. What is the reaction from this generation, you know, and they do a good job in the show. We talk about this, about the, the, you know, being politically correct. And they kind of shy away from that at certain times. How does the politically correct and, like, you know, the millennials and Gen Z view your character and what's their reaction that you've seen? I tell you, it's it's very humorous. There was a tweet. Someone tweeted a picture of Thanos. Yeah. A picture of the Ice King, and a picture of me. <laughs> and in the tweet, it said, "It said, the world. Uh, I can't use that language, but the world is messed up yeah. in April." Yeah. <laughs> and. And then it had the picture of the three of us, like the darkest characters in cinema (laughs) are all together, you know, coming to your television or in your movie theater in April. Yeah. You know. If you had a dollar for every time somebody in your life has told you to sweep the leg, (laughs) how many times do you, I mean, what do you, like, how many? We could buy (laughs) this this building, probably take over CBS in the Valley. Yeah. You know, a lot, you know, it's something that caught on. But, But if you think about it, how many movies can we say, you know, it constitutes the, the greatness of a picture. You know, all those things we can remember are only from good movies. Like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, we say, Frank, I'm just making this up as I go along. And, and The Force Be With You and I Make right. Him an Offer He Couldn't Refuse and Play It Against Sam. Yeah, I'm sure we could all think, but we couldn't think of any more than 10 or 12 uh, over the last, in Casablanca, I would say since 1940. Probably we can only think of about 12 movies and their quotes. And I believe that constitutes a classic. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, I think that's really interesting about The Karate Kid is uh, by today's standards, because it because of what we're talking about with your character, this sort of 80s villain, people think about it as a sports movie, like a fun kid sports movie that's a classic. People forget Pat Morita was nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. That, movie's a, that movie is the same director that directed Rocky. Like, this is an all-time movie, and so there's a real... Um, there's a real friendly quality to it because it's a kids franchise, right? It's like it's it's not for children necessarily, but it's very children friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think that people forget that sometimes. And it's nice that with this new series out, people revisit these films and remember the true quality of those movies. And specifically, that first Karate Kid film is it's a great movie. Yeah, it really is. And, and there are times when I think. We went to a convention once, and Ralph and I were standing behind the screen, and they were showing the movie. It was a New York convention, and they were showing the movie, and it was the last 10 minutes, and then we came on. Billy wasn't there at that time. And we were in the back, and the final scene uh, of, of the tournament was happening, and we're, we could only see it in reverse, and we still got chills. We still... And God knows how many times we've seen it. <laughs> and we still got chills. And I believe, you know, there were three things that happened in that movie. One, people identify with being bullied. Two, they also identify with being a fish out of water. Their parents were in the military or whatever. Mm-hmm. And three, there's a romance in someone's life in 1984 that was astronomical, mm. that did not work out. You know, or maybe did work out, (laughs) you know, but those are the three elements and the characteristics that we find mostly when we talk to people of why they recommend the the movie to their kids and why the kids recommend it to their kids. You mentioned uh, a slight little comment there of saying it didn't work out or maybe it It did did. work out. (laughs) And that is one of the biggest teases. Obviously, it ends the season two of Cobra Kai where we see Allie, you know, had the friend request on Facebook and there's a lot of you know people looking at will she come back next season will she won't she how will that all work out is there any hint that you can give the fans now that we know there's going to be a season three about her character's role in that season we don't really know very much I mean as actors you know I, I haven't couldn't even tell you what the scripts are like I talked to John the night before last and 
you know, he just says there's a lot of crease, but <laughs> I mean, you know, and we never saw, I never saw when I, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen season two, mm-hmm. but in the final episode of season uh, two, I never knew I did that to two weeks before. We don't really get those scripts, you know. Would you like to have her come back? And in, in how would you like her character to be shown in season three? You know, it's an interesting question because I thought about that and how, you know, because Billy now is he's in trouble again, you know, mm-hmm. and you know Johnny Lawrence is. It's an interesting question. I I thought. I think that it would be interesting for her to come back. I would be interesting for her because he ha- he doesn't have much now, and I think he would, his character would put so much emotional, uh, I would say, s- stability. On that girl, you know, when you're down and out, you're not working, and you're an actor. All of a sudden, your relationships become so important. It's what we lean on because everything else is really tough. We've been blowing the auditions, blowing, and you know, you put all that emphasis on the relationship. I think that's what he would do, and that would create great drama. Yes, and there's great drama, especially on how I he would deal with me and Ralph. And you know, in case you haven't heard this one, the the thing that a lot of people are talking about is that she's actually Tori's mom. I heard that. You know, I, yeah, it was, yeah. Well, it was an unconfirmed leak was, that yeah. people have talked about a that, lot. That Tori's last name was Schwarber, which is Allie Mills Schwarber, as we see. She also says the line, Tori, Tori with an with I. A, Tori with a Y. Right. And Allie in the first movie says with an I, right? So it's like the, the throwback, you can connect that. People have had theories about this. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember that these writers are so astute. They've gone as far back as going into the archives of Columbia and find cuts and angles that weren't used in the movie but are present the, the scene is present and and so the angle is just an angle that wasn't used so they put that in our show you know so it doesn't surprise me that you know Allie with an eye and and um, Tori with an eye but you know um, they're always grabbing little bits and pieces which make it really interesting and allow the audience to relive watching Karate Kid. Also, could be a diversion. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what we're getting at and what we're thinking of. They have us in the palm of their hands. Yeah, right. Because it's such a good series. You know, I would love to continue along the Pat Morita line and just your memory and and thoughts about working working with him. Well, I I was given this script. The audition process. I was given this script. Told I had a whole week to prepare. The very next morning, I get a call that I was, the very next morning, John Avelson wants to see you on the set now. I said, well, you said I have a whole week to prepare. And she says, no, it's now or never. I was so angry, so upset. So my wife said to me, use all these feelings you have and be just, you know, vengeful right now. And it was the scene of mercy is for the week where I'm walking up and down. And so I brought all this into the meeting with John Avelson and I berated him. And I said, you're an ass. He said, we wait for years to meet directors of your quality. And you say you're going to give us time to prepare and you don't. You're a real ass. And so are you, Carol <laughs> Jones. Mercy is for the week. Went right into it. Just really used the venom, the anger I felt of not having time to prepare. He loved it. Sent me to Jerry Weintraub. Jerry Weintraub came four days to the, late to the meeting. He was in Europe. I berated him. <laughs> I, I just ripped him a new ass, you know, and uh, boom. He loved it. And he sent me to Guy McElwain. So when I had to read for Guy McElwain, who was the head of the studio, it was on the set with Pat Morita. And Pat Morita is working with me and and John Avelson's assistant's holding the camera over his shoulder. And Pat was so generous. We did two takes, three takes, four takes. And he was shooting the show that day. And he was so kind because the vibe between us was so rich and he knew I was so right. And I would go in the bathroom and do that berating. But I couldn't berate the head of the studio. He wasn't there. So I would make, you know, do my emotional research, scream and yell, and to all, come right out and work with Pat. Didn't blink an eyelash. Didn't, you know, wasn't intimidated. Just went right into the scene. And um, it was, you know, that sealed the whole thing, is working with him. And then we would go out for drinks occasionally during the year and see each other. He was a wonderful guy. Very, you know, for someone who was not literally considered at the beginning, and Jerry did not want it, and then John made a little film of how funny this guy is and how real, 
And he sold Jerry Weintraub on him, you know, probably within a month, month and a half later. So we have a, a live chat going on right now. We have a couple dozen people watching. Again, we talk about the Torres Hill all over the globe. It's incredible. Uh, and people are asking questions in the live chat. I want to be able to uh, shout them out. And Black Robin 71 actually asked a very interesting question. He said, in your backstory, do you imagine Kreese ever having a family or children? Uh, he, ha- he had... In Vietnam, you know, it's when he was very young, and I don't believe that uh, he had children or... See, these are the things we've played with and we've talked about uh, with the writers. Um, I believe in Vietnam, could have a child, and uh, he certainly had a lover in Vietnam, a female, and um, that brings on, I can't really talk about that, but that brings on a lot of the problems in Vietnam that ultimately were carried into the dojo, you know. Um, Mercy is for the weak based on, you know, uh, um, Viet Cong children coming in looking for chocolate, looking for something, and then had a little remote as if it's in Afghanistan and blowing up and losing a lot of my platoon members Mm -hmm. by being merciful, by being kind. And that's part of why John Kreese is the way he is. You know, it's not totally unmotivated at all. But you, but you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, we obviously in season three did get this backstory of Vietnam, and we got, or season two, I'm sorry, I'm already getting ahead of myself here, (laughs) because I want it so bad. But, um, so we get this backstory, and we get to see the layers of John Kreese as well. Do you think there's... But at the end of the season, you know, he kind of goes back to that rock-hard kind of evil exterior. Is there more of a chance to see more vulnerability from this character? Unquestionably. I mean, I don't think of him as going back to that rock-hard. What he's doing in... What he's doing throughout the show is protecting the integrity of Cobra Kai. In other words, what Johnny did... I don't know how much you wouldn't say because you don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't seen it. But he felt that integrity was being jeopardized, the integrity of Cobra Kai. It's two things he cares about in his whole world. He cares about Johnny Lawrence like a father. And the only thing primary, the only thing that supersedes Johnny Lawrence is Cobra Kai. (laughs) Look at that delivery. (laughs) So is this like tough love, basically? It's not like... He's, he's trying to give him a lesson in tough love and how to make it better. Yeah, exactly. That's why I have that last line where I say, I say to him, you'll, you'll thank me for this one day, Johnny. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that leads to so much. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so much to play. I think the great thing to play is, is, and I told this to Ralph last week, and I said, you know, the great thing to play is now the drama that he has to play because Crease is done what he's done you know and johnny it will be on the upswing again and the amount of drama that's going to go on for him to play contrary to season one is so rich for an actor you know there's such conflict there's such drama it's not about a used car salesman anymore with a family and a pool and the kid it's all about some heavier stuff than that and that's what i think the audiences love you know, they just love this. Kids are so sophisticated these days. That's why there's a lot of Westerns not being made, because you can't do black hats and white hats. You've got to do, you know, things like Django. You've got to do things like um, uh, Godless, you know. You've got to make it where the characters are gray, which is what, you know, our writers have done. Everybody's gray. There's no, I was the black hat. They were the white hats in the movies. I did three of them. Mm-hmm. I was the same color all the time. So now I'm shades of gray. And yes, there will be vulnerability, um, but there also will be darkness because he's a conflicted character. Now, talking about uh, Westerns and growing up and the guys that you watched growing up, um, you've become a legendary character to a lot of actors of this generation. Who were the guys growing up for you that you were like, that's who I want to be? I want to get into acting to be like that guy. One of the first jobs I ever had was with... I was a stand-in for Sean Connery ah. on a movie called The Anderson Tapes. I think it was 1971. Okay. And I remember being accepted to a, to a, a classical stage company. And uh, 
and I was doing five years in college, and this would have been even longer, and I was accepted to NYU, and Classical Stage Company accepted me, and I remember loving Sean Connery and learning that the best thing I've ever, I think the thing I came away with working with Sean Connery is I learned how to listen. And um, so I went up to him and I said, you know, I've been accepted to NYU and for a fifth term and fifth year and I've been accepted to a classical stage company. What shall I do? Because I was on the verge of stopping school and going into acting full time. And he said to me, young man, (laughs) if you can do Antigone, you can do anything. Meaning if I can do classics, you can do anything. And he was right, you know, because the more you did it, I worked at Lincoln Center and, you know, and Cafe La Mama and all these, you know, unusual theater groups. And it was a guess. It was a great foundation, which is I, I always tell young actors that. But um, Sean Connery, to answer your question, was always one of my favorites. Jack Nicholson was always one of my favorites. Um, I didn't cotton to John Wayne until, I guess, I started acting. You know, but I, but my favorite movies of his were, I love the Alamo. I was born on the day the Alamo yep. fell, March sixth. Really? Wow. So I have this metaphysical connection <laughs> to Texas, and I love Texas. You know, um, and so I loved that movie very much. And I would say, also, um, you know, Paul Newman. It's my favorite of all time. You know, Paul Newman is just brilliant, and um, yeah, I mean, and and later on, Humphrey Bogart. Casablanca is my favorite film. It's amazing, yeah. And these films, I wish, you know, there was a lot of nationalism happened because the movie was released seven months after Pearl Harbor, and everybody was together. It was all, it was was just lucky that way. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we need now, personally. We need a good Western because I think it's the, it's the, it's, it's the American heritage of cinema is the Western. And I just think we, we need a really good one. And you, you know. received the Golden Boot Award. Ah. Yes. The final one, I think, was 2007, and you You're received right. that. Yeah. Vigo Mortensen and I, we got it. <laughs> and Vigo's great, great yeah. guy. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you look at Lord of the Rings, and you look at some of those heroes, and, you know, Vigo's a slight fellow, and he's just low-key and publishes his book publishing company, and it's a hero from Lord of the Rings. You know, I, well, the Western heroes I love... That Lord of the Rings hero, you know, that he played, God, he's right up there. Yeah. Know, right up there. He's incredible. You had, uh, you know, talked about, you know, your, your obviously your love of movies. And for Cobra Kai, I feel like there's two loves that you have. You obviously love Cobra Kai and you love Johnny. And I, I wonder in season three, obviously, with Johnny going in a different direction, Cobra Kai being over here, that you're almost going to have to choose which do you love more, Johnny or Cobra Kai? Cobra Kai. <laughs> he, said, he said it's the only thing that supersedes the love. So there's a name. We mentioned Allie Mills Schwarber, but there's another mm-hmm. name that comes up a lot. People talk about a lot. And that name is Terry Silver. So my question to you is, is there a shot that we're going to see uh, Miyagi and Johnny Versus something like that is that Terry's going to come back because Terry really is the evil guy, right? I mean, he was he was the most evil of all evils. Well, t- remember that that was precipitated. That role originally there was no Terry Silver in Karate Kid Three. It was written for me to do all of that, and I got a TV series called Hard Time on Planet Earth for Disney, so I couldn't do that. So they had to put me on vacation in Tahiti and bring on a character, and and came and wrote. Mark came and wrote. Um, Robert came and wrote um, Terry Silver to do what I had to do. So I don't know, you know, what their plans are because that would have been something that John Kreese would have definitely reveled in, training Mike Barnes and 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 uh, Daniel LaRusso, you know. So I don't know if there's really a need. I really, I really don't know. They've got so many teenagers in this show. Yeah. They are. They have so many, you know. <laughs> Side stories to write for. I don't know for bringing in, uh, you know, God knows. I don't even for bringing in Allie because you know they, they they don't they talk about it, right? But there's nothing real specific. They're very you know very protective of everything because I believe that they write they write so that only they 
are privileged to the material. So they don't have to deal with other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when it's put to script, it's so good that you can't debate and say, well, well why don't we do something else? Because they make the right decisions, these guys. They just make the right decisions. Yeah. When they you pitched know? it to you, you know, you said two years ago in September, how many seasons or how, how long did they pitch you of how long it would go? They just said, I, you know, I'd, I'd be a regular in season two and season three. So that was it, um, you know, and I said, fine, you know, I, I, but I believed them, you know, because God knows it, it's changed for me. I used to take movies and I made a lot of mistakes. I I would take movies where I really liked the part and, and then the, the script was just fair, but I thought my performance would enhance the picture. I was arrogant enough to think that. And nine out of ten times, it never happened. Never happens. If it's not on the page, if you don't have that written word on the page, it doesn't matter how good your performances are. No, everybody forgets about it. You can have five lines in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and everybody will know everything about your resume. You can have the lead, and God knows how many times I've done this, the lead in something, and nobody goes to see the movie because it's not good. So I don't, you know, I don't have an answer for that, but I know it'll be appropriate. Mm-hmm. I know it will ring true for the actor because we've never p- had to play a false moment mm-hmm. ever. Everybody is, we're right there. It's easy to say. It's like working in the newsroom with Sorkin. You know, mm-hmm. those cats were so good in that newsroom because they were, the writing was brilliant, just brilliant. And, you know, we're blessed with the same things. I believe the greatest moment in the history of television is the opening scene from the pilot of that show. The jet, I think it's the single greatest speech to why America is not the greatest yeah. country yeah. in the world. I've probably watched it a hundred times. Just he's he's unbelievable. I'm going to see... I'm getting an award at the Hoboken Film Festival on the 17th this month, and I'm going to New York, and it sort of came... Death of a Salesman. You're going to go see it? No, I'm going to oh. go see To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, that's what mm-hmm. I meant to say. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I saw Death of a Salesman. Yeah. The movie I just finished, VFW, was with Stephen Lang. Yeah. Stephen Lang played Happy in the Dustin Hoffman version with John Malkovich on Broadway, you know, back, it's like 86. And I saw it. And uh, But now it's To Kill a Mockingbird because I love Jeff Day. Yeah. When I was voting, I vote for the, for the Emmys. When I got the disc of the four or five people to vote for the male, um, the best actor in the series. And I, and his was the first, the monologue <laughs> was the first on the disc. And I just looked at it and I said, <laughs> it's <just> so brilliant. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, it's my responsibility to look at the rest of the, the other. <laughs> it, it was, it was Cranston. It was a couple of other people. I said, I'm going to look. And I remember saying, he says, I have a big screen. And I said, do I really want to look? Because it's really, I know who I'm voting for. But then I, I was responsible enough to look at everybody. The disc ended, and I proceeded to vote for him. Because it probably is. That and his speech in um, the Civil War piece. Was it God and General? Uh, no, it was Gettysburg. The, Gettysburg, yeah. the first one. When he addresses his... Yeah, he's amazing. It's unbelievable. The, the guy is just... And in Godless? Mm. Yeah. Oh, the only... Uh, the only thing Western Hostels was brilliant really good, yeah. and got a bad deal distribution-wise. But Hostels' performance by Christian Bale was as good as Godless with Jeff Daniels. And those two performances are just brilliant. Tammy, I cut you off. I, yeah, I just had a question. So I looked up the term badass in Webster's Dictionary, and it read, In Karate Kid Part 3, the effects team ill-timed one of the car window shattering shots, causing Martin Cove to inadvertently break the prop window with his own fist. He sustained several injuries to his hand but continued filming. Wow. Is this in the dictionary? Yes, Webster's Dictionary. No, really? Is it? No. So my question to you. (laughs) Look at that smile. Look at (laughs) it. My question to you is, how has the discipline of karate informed your work as an actor? It's very subtle. It's very subtle. Uh, When I don't do it, I really feel it. It's like when you work out and you're working out for two, three months and all of a sudden you have to travel and you can't work out. You can feel it. You feel it in your body. Well, I feel it in the body and in 
in the soul, in the mind. That discipline, that meditative functioning with just working out, I don't do it enough as I did it earlier, you know, because I've got shoulder replacements, knee replacements. You know, I've been all over the place with rock and roll and stunts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing splits on the dance floor and all this. But, but you know, you, you really miss it. And you, it's very, very personal. So you can see, you can only go so far without working out. And you can go probably a little, a little further with not, going to the dojo but you feel like you feel like you're fasting you feel lightheaded and you feel in control of every movement you make in your body when you're studying and you're in the dojo three days a week and you're working out say two days a week with a trainer physically i mean that is the ideal thing it's very tough to do very tough to do because you need to work with somebody you need to have your sensei with you to make sure you're you're doing it correctly. You're functioning correctly. Spinning crescent kicks, front kicks. You really need someone there. And um, most of the time, you try to, you know, I think engineer that. But you can feel it in your body, and you certainly feel the the pressure for the rest of the world when you're not in tune with working out and going to the dojo and the discipline of karate. It's pure. It's a pure thing. It's almost inexplicable. I understand yeah. you studied Okinawa te under uh, Gordon Davarsala Sheehan. That's what's listed on Ooh. Wikipedia that we found it. Uh, so, are you still doing that? Did you did you bring that back heavily when you found out that you were coming back for the show? What was that like? No, Okinawa te was. A, I did a movie called Steel Justice. Okay. And Steel Justice was a um, a film where the stunt coordinator um, was familiar with Okinawa te, and he came to the house and we worked out, you know, three four days a week. And that was just his style. And I liked the style because most of the time I was using Wagasashi's uh, short sword. And he was teaching me a lot of that. You know, as an actor, you try to legitimately get a black belt. But many times you're doing, you're always doing black belt katas and moves and, and, and stunts. Um, and yet you haven't really... You haven't actually gone into a place where you've been a consistent black belt. So, sure, I have you know a diploma, and I have a black belt in Okinawa Te and a black belt in Tiger Kempo. And, but honestly, I would like to start over again, just like I would like to start over again learning acting and just go off in a cabin somewhere by a lake for a year and sit there with a guru and work on just work there with you know Stella Adler if she was still around or you know. And, and just work on parts, just like I'd like to go off with a, my own Shion, Tak Kubota, who I worked with in Glendale, uh, the first one, and and work on, because I like sword work. I like kendo more than I like karate. I like, you know, weaponry. It's more romantic, I find, you know. Open hand is terrific, but I prefer, you know, sword work. Might we see some of the sword work you speak of in season three, maybe? You could. You know, I brought that up, so you, you could. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, there was so much going on in season two that all of a sudden the violence that was, I mean, it just, can you just imagine John Kreese teaching his kids a sword work and, yes. and when to use that? And in, in your life when you go to school, can you imagine? I you feel know. like he would bring in anything he could at this point just yeah. to, like, turn heads. Yeah. Well, you know, he is trying to better their lives. Yeah. I just don't know. I just don't know if walking into like math class with a katana, you know, in your belt is really, you know. I mean, maybe he could have done it in the Toshiro Mifumi days of Seven Samurai, you know. But, um, yeah, anything is possible. That's your question? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how would curb it into not bringing it into class, or, you know, but we'll see. Sure. And, you know, with your character, it, it seems maybe at some point based on the good versus evil, that good will probably win and your character might be defeated or might go out. How do you want your character to go out in Cobra Kai at the end? Well, I've not really thought about the end, you know. It would, it, I haven't thought about the end. And this character had just really begun, you know. The, mm -hmm. So I haven't really considered what what would be uh, at the end because as far as we know he could make which would be really attractive for me to make transitions into a f 
greater realm of decency, hmm. you know, but always have this edge, you know. How many times have we seen the bad guys turn good in movies and they always die? You know, the bad guys turning good always die in movies. <laughs> yeah, and so that, that's something for, like, down the line, you know. Um, and they would plan something. I mean, I just did this movie VFW, and everybody dies. William Sadler dies. <laughs> David Patrick Kelly dies. Everybody dies except Stephen Lang. I mean, Fred Williamson dies. Everybody dies. And it's it's the story of a, the siege of a bar, VFW, and we all hang out there, and then the bad guys come, and we protect a girl. And the whole movie in Dallas was about this VFW, and it's called VFW. Mm-hmm. And... We all die defending the honor of a girl we don't even know. You know, I don't know if John Kreese would do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, I did this picture with Quentin uh, once about a time in Hollywood. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, um, you know, those characters, they, they're from, you know, I, you've seen the promo. So they're, they're from a period of time in the 60s where Westerns were really popular. And there were 35 Westerns on primetime television in the 60s mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think back in that era people would sacrifice themselves the patriotism there I would for my grandchild and my kids definitely put my life on the line but there's a certain you know it, things have changed now with patriotism things have changed now with people putting their lives on the line for loved ones and all uh, I think John Kreese would probably John Kreese, because of his attraction to Cobra Kai, would put his life on the line to maintain that after his death, the integrity of Cobra Kai sustains itself. Cobra Kai never, never dies. dies. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's, it's interesting you mentioned that about uh, those, those classic characters, you know, giving their life. Or There's that famous uh, Eastwood movie from 93, In the Line of Fire, right? And he's got, there's the scene where, where Malkovich is holding him up, and he can, he can literally shoot Malkovich and fall off the roof because the guy's going to try to kill the president. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he doesn't, right? And so that it's like it changes up the classic idea in these Westerns, this black and white idea you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. It gets more gray, right? Yeah. You're going to preserve your own life. And I think that's a lot of what the development of this series and your character is about. You mentioned decency. I think we will have to see that decency. I don't think the audience wants the cartoon character i think they want the decency they want something more complex they want the full arc that you're getting you're beginning to show us i'm in full agreement i think you know you go back and forth it's really interesting when you go back and forth goodness and 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 evil and you know you go and this that that's where i mean i think you know indiana jones as much of a hero as he is he's still the original one was really dirty harry you know a friend of mine Mm -hmm. john milius wrote this piece about a prejudiced, nasty cop. That that's what you know. That's what turned turned Clint, you know, on was the fact that this was a real man. This guy was prejudiced. He didn't like the guys. You know, do you feel lucky, punk? When was the last time we saw a cop stand there and do that in the movies? They've always been the savior. You know, the white hat. And then that, that was 1972. So that that began an era, or there was the beginning of an era of of reality and greenness, you know, up until then through the sixties, all the Western heroes and all the shows, they, they were all white hats, you know, they were all long rangers. We, oh, oh, I was just going to say, we, uh, we kind of touched upon some of the other projects that you have been working on, uh, currently, or even in the past. I was just curious, you know, because you've done such a wide variety of stuff, what type of criteria do you look into when you think I got to play this character? I tell you that you know I thought about a lot about that when I, I was down to the wire on cable, and for the for the um, um, Ryan Reynolds picture uh, uh, Deadpool, Deadpool two, and I just thought that would be a lot of fun to play this kind of character. I'd never done a movie like that before, but you know because I never really got the script, I couldn't lock into that because they just gave you the sides at that point. Um, I really enjoy going. I like the leading men. I've done several of those. They haven't been successful. And yet, I enjoy comedy a great deal. And you'd never really know that by the roles. But 
if you can play someone, I think, who's comedic, who's fun, because that's why I got into this whole game. Was In the fourth grade, I did a play in school back in Brooklyn, and I made people laugh, and it felt good. And it felt good over and over and over again. Yet, you know, because I don't look like, you know, John Belushi, it's kind of, it's tough to make people laugh now. And I'd like to, I like to do a Western where I can make people laugh. When you think about Blazing Saddles, <laughs> you know, you think about Blazing it's just hysterical. That would it's never a, get done today. It couldn't get done today. Yeah, there'd be so much of God, they would plant a bomb in the premiere, you know? So... To answer your question, I, I really enjoy serious vulnerability, and yet I enjoy humor. So I look for that in the script. I mean, you know, I, I, I actually love playing really emotional characters. I really do. And that's what happens in episode four when, you know, he comes to my little hobble where I live. Hmm. You know, that to me is one of my favorites. And when I go and bring him back his trophy. Yeah. Those were my favorite scenes because they were just so soft and gentle and caring. I think those are also the scenes where like maybe someone at home who was not rooting for John Kreese at mm-hmm. that point was like, man, yeah. I gotta give him some credit there. Ah, thank you. I hope so. So I hope so. You mentioned working with Quentin Tarantino, obviously, John G. Avildsen and John Milius you mentioned. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your some of your favorite experiences, or maybe there's one that comes to mind, working with a, a brilliant director? Well, John Milius was absolutely you know, he's terrific um i mean here's a man who wrote apocalypse now he you know he threw all kinds of uh lines into raiders and and um, jaws you know he and spielberg they all went and and lucas went to school together but john you know john milius is like what john ford was in his day he just and 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 now he's not well now hopefully he'll get better but the bottom line was he was a romantic. I just feel we we don't have enough romantics because all these movies being made are all moral comic books. They're not romantic stories. They're hardcore stories about good and evil. And and um, I find John Millius to be a romantic. And I was married to a set to the soundtrack of The Wind and the Lion, a movie he made with Candace Bergen and Sean Connery. And it was fantastic. It was a little five million dollar movie made by MGM in Morocco. You know, so I find that working with people who have the same feelings as I do, these three writers I work with now, we're on the same page because, you know, they have very little patience for nonsense. They have very little patience for notes. You know, <laughs> they have very little patience for anything except because they are so smart, their perception. They have very little. If someone's not on the same page with them, it's okay. You know, they listen to their ideas and then they move on. So for me, I think, I think a romantic director. John was was excellent. John was a great visionary. You know, know exactly what he wanted. I don't remember getting a lot of direction from John. He would just tell me never smile. You know, he said I don't want a Marty Cove twinkle. He says I just death. That's what he wanted, and he would reiterate that for me. And um, you know, there's a, Larry Kasdan was a guest. Wired Up. I remember doing Wired Up with him, and I would walk into the saloon looking for Kevin Costner, and I'd have a smile. And I was a cool Hollywood gunfighter with the guns slung down, and he'd come up to me and he says, You've done Cagney and Lacey. He said, When a, a bad guy, a perp, comes into a grocery or a 7 Eleven, and he holds a gun to people, is he smiling? And I said, No, he's very serious. And he said, You come in here. And look for Kevin, very serious. And we did it, and it was brilliant. It was just, you know, he knew knew what he wanted, and he was a big kid. And Kevin's a big kid. So it's like, you know, I was in heaven just making a Western with all these people. So they're romantics. It just, you know, I, I just enjoy people that have a great knowledge of cinema. Mm. And you can compare what your movie, Quentin, is unbelievable. I mean, I'm... I'm I do the scene with Quentin, and I put my feet up on a post like that, and and it's a scene from from um, Henry Fonda in My Darling Clementine, where he's playing Wyatt Earp, and he puts his feet up on a post. I forgot what he's waiting for, and I said, I said, do you want me to do this little thing against the post with my feet? He says, you know that movie. And I said, of course I know that movie. <laughs> I said, do you think you're the only one who knows westerns? <laughs> and 
you know, he said, no, we can't, we can't do that because we've got to shoot between. But he is a guy who knows everything about cinema across the board, and he's a pleasure to work with. So those are the kind of people that you'd, you'd like to work with only, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you on set working with uh, Leo or Brad Pitt yeah. that day? Yeah. Any well, it was Leo. Yeah, well, it was a Western scene. So, you know, DiCaprio's coming in with all these dead people on... <laughs> <laughs> on his on his saddle, and uh, you know it, it was it was that was the scene. Because I, I can't tell you a lot about that movie. Course, yeah. I mean, all the spoilers are killing and good <laughs> conversation. But you know, he was fantastic, and he does scenes that are paying homage to other great classics. You know, and some now a lot of a lot of directors do that. But a lot seem to think that um, you know th- that they've got to be a little colder and crueler, in the sense for their own using their own ideas. So many people don't seem to acknowledge the brilliance of the of the George Stevens, of you know the John Huston, of all those earlier people who were just absolutely sensational in our business. You know. Mm. Well, Marty, thank you so much for coming. It's this was an unbelievable so interview. So many thank good you. stories. I, I want to talk for another hour. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so many things to ask you. But uh, thank you so much for coming, and we're, we'll you know be looking out for you in the in the new film and VFW and, and Once Upon a Time, and of course uh, season three of Cobra Kai. Uh, where can the folks find you on social media if they want to follow along with what you're doing? Uh, it, Ma- it's it would be Marty Cove. Well, no, it's actually yeah, MartyCoveOnline.com. Okay, great. You know, awesome. and uh, yeah, they can play and. Send stuff to gas, always to read people's. I mean, that's where I got that, you know, that, that tweet. Tweet. Yeah. It's the greatest. <laughs> I mean, I photographed it on my phone and it had a picture of the Ice King and Thanos and me. And I said, oh, in April, the world is after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know? So I said, wow. And I just thought, I said that to everybody. I thought, because I don't think of John Kreese as being just the, the just, you know, Lucifer. I don't think, <laughs> but but the amount of people that do is fascinating. fascinating. But they love to hate the guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, last but not least, Michael, where can the folks find you? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at the only MC. Thank you so much. Tammy Govea, yeah. pleasure. You can find me on Twitter at Tammy Govea and Insta Tammy Govea official. Veronica Valencia. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at it's me Veronica underscore V. And you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And thanks. One more round of applause for Marty Cook. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first. We're the biggest in the world. And we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.